Well, welcome to Menlo Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. We're a church that believes that everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. So we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, Merry Christmas and welcome to Menlo Church. We are so glad and honored that you're here spending Christmas with our church family. You know, if you were to ask people this question, what is the most wonderful time of the year? How do you think people would respond? Uh, when are people most generous and joyful? And when are people in the best spirits? Uh, when are the best movies in the theaters and the most parties to attend? When is it acceptable to watch reruns of Elf, Home Alone, and Die Hard, right? When is it okay to go to a party wearing an ugly sweater only to be surrounded by other people wearing ugly sweaters? Uh, when are you able to walk out onto the streets to be greeted by strangers and people decorate their homes and go from door to door to door singing carols? And here's the best part. Everyone goes home with a gift, not just the birthday boy or the birthday girl. If you ask people what is the most wonderful time of the year, they'd probably tell you it's Christmas. Here's the strange thing. If you ask people what is the hardest time of the year, when does life get really complicated? When is there the most pressure at work and at home? When are there memories of family loss or dysfunction or bad fruitcake? Uh, when are people most overwhelmed, overscheduled? When do they overeat or overspend? When does life come at people hardest and there's the biggest gap between reality and expectation? Well, if you ask people that question, they'd probably tell you the answer is Christmas. And it's not that Christmas changes everything we experience. Christmas has this way of magnifying and amplifying all of life's experiences. The high and the low, the good and the bad, the light and the dark. Some of our most favorite Christmas memories and most forgettable ones happen this time of the year. For me, one of my favorite Christmases happened 17 years ago in 2002. My wife and I had just been married. We were in for six months. We were kind of getting used to this newlywed thing. We were settling into our apartment, adjusting to new jobs. And she told me something that Christmas that changed my life forever. She said, Eugene, we're expecting. I said, company? <laughs> she said, no, dummy, you're going to become a dad. And I said, what? How did that happen? I was completely shocked and surprised. I wasn't preparing to have kids yet. I wasn't ready to have kids yet. And our whole lives flashed before our eyes. And it was a range of emotions from joy and excitement to fear and stress. That following year at Christmas was the most sleepless Christmas we've ever had. But for some of you, as you think back on your past Christmases, you might not always connect them to such joyful, memorable moments. I have a friend who told me recently that her parents decided to get a divorce four days before Christmas. And so every year at this time, she's reminded of the pain of her family and their brokenness. Maybe you're here this Christmas and you're feeling the recent loss of a loved one. And right now that pain runs really deep because they're not here to celebrate with you. Or maybe you're single and you're experiencing deep loneliness and you're wondering, when am I gonna find the right person to be in my life? Or maybe you're trying to have kids and you'd like to have a baby and this past year has been filled with disappointment and pain and sorrow. And as you head into this Christmas, you're wondering, will this new year bring hope? Will there be good news? 
or light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you've been working overtime, giving everything you have for your job or your career or the company that you're at, only to be overlooked and your value to the organization is not recognized. Or maybe you or someone you know is sick and this Christmas just doesn't have the same ring, the same joy as Christmas's past. You see, some of our brightest moments and our darkest moments can be Christmas moments. That's kind of the way Christmas works. And so what I'd like to do now is just share some thoughts with you about Christmas, what it all means and what difference it makes in our lives. And I hope that wherever you are in life, whether you're going through something uh, that's like a high or a low, that, that the truth of Christmas will speak to you this year. In the Gospels, there are two writers named Matthew and Luke who tell us about everything that happened 2,000 years ago on Christmas. They tell us about the nativity story. They tell us all the characters that were involved, Joseph and Mary and their journey. They tell us that there were angels and shepherds and stars and gifts. And they give us great detail about what actually happened. But John, who was another gospel writer, included none of that in his gospel account. He didn't tell us anything about Christmas. And that's because John wrote with a different motivation. He didn't write to tell us what happened, but he wrote to tell us what it all means and what difference it makes in our lives. And in John's first letter to the church, he writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Notice the language that John is using here. We heard him. We saw him. We, we touched him with our hands. Why is John being so emphatic? It sounds like the kind of language you would hear in a courtroom at a deposition. And that's because John is giving his testimony. He's telling people what he experienced, what he saw, what, what, he, what he heard with his own ears. And he wants people to know that Jesus is not just a myth or a fairy tale or a legend. It's not just a good story, but I knew this man. I was friends with him. I followed him. And John goes on to say, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John is explaining to us that God is no longer an abstraction, that you can know God and have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And John uses the word fellowship. We have fellowship with him. And then he sums it all up in verse five. John says, this is the message we heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. John says, God is light. And in case you missed it, he says the same thing another way. He says, in him, there is no darkness at all. One of the first indications of the Christmas season is the appearance of lights. Lights are everywhere. Lights are on trees. Candles are in windows. There's radiance and brilliance everywhere. If you've ever been to Eucalyptus Street in San Carlos, it's the most decorated street in California. 
our friends at PG&E probably get nervous every year at Christmas when everybody plugs in their lights. You could probably be on the moon and look down on the earth and see there's Eucalyptus Street right there because it's so bright with lights. But you see, lights are not just decorations. Lights serve as symbols for us because John is saying, God is light and in him there is no darkness. And this light has come into the world at Christmas. And there is no darkness at all. John is saying God is not 80% light with a shade of gray. He's not 90% light with a little bit of darkness. He is 100% light, and there is no darkness in him. God is always good all the time. He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. He never holds a grudge. He never blows a call. He is always good, and there is no evil in him. When my son Nathan was growing up, his favorite character in Star Wars was Darth Vader. Now, for a toddler, that's kind of an unusual choice. Usually kids aspire to be like Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, maybe even Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? But my son chose Darth Vader, and I was a little embarrassed as a pastor because my son picked the bad guy. <laughs> like, how are you raising him? What kind of Sunday school does he go to? But that's who he chose. And so I said, Nathan, what's going on? He's the bad guy. He's dark and cruel and sinister, and he's got asthma. Like, what is there to like about Darth Vader? And my son Nathan looked at me and he said, well, dad, you know, you know, and all the good guys, they all have a little bit of bad in them. I was like, true, true. And he said, well, dad, in Darth Vader, there's a little bit of good in him too. And I said, what child is this? <laughs> He's seen Return of the Jedi where Darth Vader becomes the father Luke always wanted. John is telling us that God is completely good and there is no bad in him. There is no darkness in God at all. He is pure light. A few years ago, UC Berkeley received a generous grant to do a research project to search for intelligent life in outer space. And the following year, Stanford University received a matching grant to search for intelligent life at UC Berkeley. <laughs> Just giving you the facts. But there was a research project that was backed by a Russian billionaire, and the lead advisor for this particular project was a man named Stephen Hawking. And many of you know who he is. He was one of the most brilliant physicists who ever lived. And this is what Stephen Hawking had to say about this exploration of intelligent life in outer space. He wrote, somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours aware of what they mean. Or, or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos, unseen beacons announcing that here on one rock, the universe discovered its existence? If a search of this scale and sophistication finds no evidence of intelligence out there, it will be a very interesting result. It will not prove that we are alone, but it will narrow the possibilities. It is important for us to know if we are alone in the dark. Stephen Hawking said, there's no bigger question in science. Are we alone in the universe? Are we alone in the dark? And John writes about the birth of Jesus to say, you are not alone and you are no longer in the dark because the light of the world has come through this child, through this person. 
And 800 years before John wrote about this and knew Jesus, there was another man named Isaiah who was a prophet. And Isaiah said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so it happened. 800 years later, a little baby was born in Bethlehem and grew up, and John met him and saw him and heard him and followed him. And John said, in him was life. And that life was the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's important, friends, because the world we live in is a dark place. There is darkness in this world. In fact, there is darkness in our lives, in our hearts. Some of us are living with pain, with hurt, with brokenness, with anger. And that darkness can become very overwhelming for some of us. In fact, sometimes we feel like we are all alone in the dark. And John writes to tell us that we're not. I want to share with you a story of a man named Daniel who traveled through the deepest, darkest valleys of life and what he found and discovered on the other side. Take a look. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I distinctly remember hitting rock bottom. It was the darkest time in my life. I was living in a broken down RV and uh, my existence was waking up, trying to find something to eat and going back to sleep again. My drug addiction had taken pretty much everything from me. There was many times that I prayed that God would take my life. Growing up, we went to church, but it didn't hold much meaning for me. My view of God was just like my dad, uh, this strict disciplinarian, uh, just waiting for me to mess up so that I could be punished or be held accountable. Once I graduated high school, I wanted to be free and as far away as possible from my family. So I joined the Army. That's where I learned to party. For the first time in my life, there was, there was no restrictions, no one telling me what to do, how to live my life. Uh, for about five or six years after that, uh, and during that time, there was substance abuse. I was making decent money. I was young, I was invincible. There wasn't anything I couldn't do. Eventually, things in my life started to disappear. All my money was, was going to support my habit. I eventually became homeless and uh, lost all of my friends and family. I was bouncing in and out of jail. Um, there was a uh, felony conviction for grand theft. I was before the judge and he gave me an opportunity to get my life cleaned up, go to rehab, or uh, go to San Quentin for three years. My mom came with me to, uh, to that hearing and I got to see my mom sitting there as the 
sheriff was taking my inventory. And my mom is this fiery little Guamanian lady. And as I looked out to see if she was there, she was pretty much slumped over in, her, in the chair. Um, she was heartbroken, and I could tell that I was the one that, that broke her heart. At that point, that's when I knew I couldn't do this without God. I reached up to him. I, the only way I could, I could see him was to look up and, and, and cry out for help. I knew at that point there was, there was something that was different. Something did change in, in my heart. I spent roughly a year in and out of jail, and then I got to go to uh, the Salvation Army in San Jose. I started looking for the people that were doing the right things, that were actually going through the program to change their life and surrender their life to, to God. That moment in the courtroom was a, a turning point for me. I've been clean and sober now for about 20 years, almost coming up on 20 years. Newly remarried to a wonderful, wonderful lady, learning how to be a better husband, learning how to be a better dad, learning how to be a better friend, person. Never thought for one second that I would be in this position. I'm deeply grateful God met me in the dark and called me into the light. A man walking in darkness has seen a great light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So friends, this is what Christmas means. God came down, and we are no longer alone in the dark. In 1961, a man by the name of Yuri Gagarin was the first human being to travel into outer space. And as he was leaving the Earth's atmosphere, entering into this new frontier, he looked out the window of his cockpit, and he said to himself, God is not here. And the whole world was watching and captivated by this remarkable event. One person who was paying attention was C.S. Lewis. And in response to Yuri's comment that God could not be found out there, C.S. Lewis wrote an article called The Seeing Eye. And in the article, C.S. Lewis says, if God created human beings, we would not find God by going up into space. Because God doesn't relate with human beings the way somebody who lives on the second floor of a building relates to those who live on the first floor. God relates to human beings much like the way Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Hamlet's world and Hamlet's entire existence is all created by the author, by Shakespeare. And the only way that Hamlet could come to know who Shakespeare is is if, is if Shakespeare wrote clues about himself into the play and revealed himself that way. And that is how people have found God, because God didn't just give clues about his existence, but at Christmas, God wrote himself into the play. Jesus entered into the drama of human history and came into our lives and came into our stories. And we are no longer alone, and we are no longer in the dark.
Because at Christmas, God came down. A people walking in the darkness have now seen and received a great light, and that light is Jesus Christ. And in a few moments, we're gonna sing this song together at all of our campuses called King of Kings. And I want you to pay attention to just to the opening lines that go like this. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes. And as we continue to sing that song, just let the words and the lyrics be your prayer. Let it be your meditation about who God is and what he's done. And we want you to know that you are not alone, that we are not alone, that God is with us and we are in his light. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for this time of the year where we can be reminded that you entered into our stories, that you wrote yourself into the play so that we could know you and have a relationship with you so that we can see you and hear you and trust you the way that John testified 2,000 years ago. And God, we thank you that even in our own darkness, in our own struggles, that you are good and you are trustworthy and your light is available to every one of us. And so God, we ask that you would shine your light in our lives and in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired by this message and can find a way to take these teachings into your week. And we'd love to see you again. If you want to find out more about our church and what's happening around the church, you can follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.